The story of Jesus' birth is only recorded in two of the Gospels. There's four, gospel, <clears throat> four Gospels that were recorded. Um, John and Mark treat it just as a fact that he, he is. And they jump right into their Gospels. Uh, John tells us who he was before. He was the babe wrapped in a manger. Mark just says, I'm just going to tell you the story of Jesus. And Mark is like a, Mark writes at a breakneck pace. He's eager uh, to tell the story. But Matthew tells us a little bit of the story. And Matthew tells us what happened in regards to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Matthew chapter 1 records that Uh, God sent an angelic messenger to Joseph because Joseph's fiancée, Mary, had been found pregnant. And Joseph, he wanted to do right by her. He wanted to honor her. But uh, he wasn't planning on staying with her. Uh. I don't know that Joseph could have uh, readily received from Mary that this babe was a miracle. And Joseph was struggling with this. And so the Lord sent an angelic messenger and he told Joseph, hey, actually, that babe in your fiance's womb is of God. And Joseph, I have a tough task for you. I'm going to ask you to stay true to her and trust that she stayed true to you. And even more, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to be the earthly model of a father. For God's only begotten son and Israel's true king in this world's true Lord, ruler, authority. And Joseph acted faithfully and he took upon himself in the trust of God's goodness and God's provision and he accepted the challenge. He said, I will. Fathers, here, you know that whenever you found out, whether you were ready for it or not, you knew that whenever you became a dad, it was accepting a challenge. Ali, our newest father of Friends of Baptist Church. Are you ready for the challenge, my friend? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Somebody needs to get Seth away from my wife. He's a different kid whenever he's with her. That's for sure. 
All right, he's just going to have to go. You can't fight him, and you can't be anxious about it. All right? Yeah. I accept all kids except for my own. Um, so that's Matthew's telling of the story. And then Matthew just says that Joseph accepted the word of the Lord through the messenger and that Joseph acted faithfully. Luke, on the other hand, he, he tells the story of Jesus's birth with a little bit more detail. And he focuses more on Mary. And he intertwines the story of Jesus' birth with the story of John the Baptist's birth. See, John was Jesus' cousin, but John was also um, a fulfillment of a prophetic promise. See, John was coming to be the forerunner, the one who goes before the king to herald, hey, there's a new king, and he is coming. And he's coming in fulfillment of all God's promises, these ancient promises that he promises long ago. He is going to restore the throne of David, and he's going to unite humanity under this ruler, under this king. And so Luke says, I can't tell the story of Jesus' birth without telling the story of John's birth as well. And whenever he lays it out, he also gives us this opportunity to kind of compare and contrast. There's a lot of comparisons. Like I said, both of them were fulfillments of prophetic promises. Uh, Both of them, the parents had to be prepared. See, John the Baptist, his mother and father, his father was a priest. His name was Zacharias. His mother's name was Elizabeth. And they were well past the age of having children. So they were a little bit north of 40, right? Because I think all of us right about 40 were going, nope, nope, I'm done. My sister and brother-in-law did not get the memo. And uh, right right as their daughter was about to graduate high school, and they were looking for, like, land in the country, um, they, they became pregnant. Um, and uh, they're ready for it, aren't y'all? Y'all are enjoying life. He's awesome. He's really so sweet. Um, and just, uh, like, tons of energy. Um, I cannot stress that enough. He has so much energy. <laughs> But Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, they couldn't have children. And that's sad. And they lived with that for years. And years. And years. And I know what it's like. Uh, for people who've never had children or people who are struggling to have children to anticipate and desire and long for and pray, Lord, give us a child. And they went through many years of anticipation and longing and yearning and many years of disappointment, discouragement, disheartened, disheartened moments. And they likely would have thought, it's not going to happen for us. And they reconciled that with God and with one another. So the angel came 
And he spoke to Zacharias and he said, hey, guess what? I know you think you're well past a surprise, but surprise. So you get the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. There's some unique details in that story that I, I'm not going to get into all of them, but 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 they are they are going to they are prepared as parents to receive a son who is a fulfillment of ancient prophetic promises. And then Luke tells us a story about how Mary <clears throat> was prepared herself because see, unlike Zacharias and Elizabeth, who had been married for a long, long, long time and never had a baby, Mary had yet to have the opportunity to have a baby. She had just, <clears throat> she was in the period of her life where uh, she was planning and preparing to become a bride. She wasn't even yet ready, planning and preparing to become a mother. And so the angel had to come and prepare Mary. And Mary... Uh, it's very confused whenever the angel shows up. Then Mary says, Hail Mary, blessed art thou among women. Uh, you have found favor in the Lord's eyes. And Mary goes, what is going on here? Confused and disturbed. And the angel says, fear not. And he tells her that her son is going to be the fulfillment of ancient prophetic promises as well. He says that her son is actually going to be the king of Israel, the true ruler and authority of this whole world. And his name is going to be Jesus, which means God saves. And Mary wasn't sure how to take this news. And she said, how am I going to know that this is going to happen? And the angel says, well, your cousin Elizabeth, the old one, she became pregnant. And Mary shows up to discover that Elizabeth is pregnant. And then Elizabeth, because her baby leaps in her womb, Elizabeth begins to prophesy in the spirit of the Lord. And she says, what an honor that the mother of our Lord would come see me. And at Mary, at this moment, she utters this beautiful prayer, this Magnificat, as it's called. And then Luke tells us about what happens when each child is born. And tonight, as we compare and contrast, there's a subtle difference that we see between the two births that I want to focus on. In Luke chapter number 1, verse number 57, it says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had shown great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. 
In Luke chapter number 2, we find that Mary and Joseph had traveled to Bethlehem, uh, south of where they lived up in Nazareth. And while they were there in Bethlehem, her days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 6 says, Verse number 7 of chapter 2 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we've addressed this. The no room for them in the inn is not some great drama of some miserly old innkeeper who said no vacancy sign. We don't need that sort of drama here. The story's dramatic enough. But did you catch the very subtle difference between those births? When Elizabeth and Zacharias gave birth to their son John, their family and their friends, their neighbors, their community rejoiced. They celebrated with them. In fact, in the next few verses, it talks about how they said, well, what are you going to name the baby? It reads just like that. <laughs> and, and there's a discussion and an argument because the baby's name was to be John, according to God, through the angelic messenger. And it gives a great opportunity for Zacharias to prophesy over his own son and to celebrate the Lord and his faithfulness. But when Mary and Joseph deliver their baby, there is no tagline that says, and the neighbors and the relatives rejoice. Now, I was observing this, and anytime you have comparing and uh, comparable stories, the contrasts really stand out. And as I was observing this, I had a few considerations that came to mind. Tonight, I want to offer you these considerations. First of all, why was there no community around Mary and Joseph? Well, we know that they're not in their village of Nazareth whenever she delivers. So that could just be simply it. They're away from their community. They're in Bethlehem. They have uh, ancestral lineage, ancestral uh, heritage there, but they, they don't really know anybody anymore. That could be it. I think a little bit more likely or along with that is also the consideration that Mary becoming pregnant was a shameful thing because she did it before she was married. And Joseph accepting her still yet as his bride, even though she was pregnant before they got married, was a shameful thing. Now, maybe they told everybody. 
No, 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 no. What happened was there I was sleeping and an angel came in and I was scared and the angel was like, calm down, buddy. And I was like, okay, well, what do you have for me, angel? And then the angel told me that Mary was pregnant and then I found out that it's true. And you know, like that kind of like, maybe they told everybody. And, and, and I've, I've operated under that assumption and, and thought of all the humor that surrounds that, you know, like all the, all the humor and all the sorrow that surrounds that. But, 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 but recently it, it occurred to me that maybe they couldn't tell anybody. Maybe they knew nobody's going to believe this. And that's not because these people that are their family and friends aren't God-fearing and that they don't love the Lord and that they don't believe that God works powerfully and miraculously. No, it's not that. It's just like, when have you seen this happen before? Barren wombs coming to life? Yep, God did that all the time in the Old Testament. We have some major stories surrounding that. But a virgin womb? So, so I want us to consider, maybe they, they just found that they couldn't tell anybody. Maybe they tried to tell a few people. And, and, and y'all, y'all know, like if you have some news that people don't believe, at some point you just go like, I, I can't convince them. Um, you know, Brother Bruno has this great statement. People who don't need any convincing any explanation will do, but people who do need convincing, no explanation will do. And so here's what I want us to consider. Consider that maybe they stopped trying to convince people and they just started bearing the shame. They just started saying, God, you're, I can't change people's minds. And I'm going to leave this to you to set the record straight. This is a consideration that seems the most faithful option from two very faithful individuals. It it, it also leads me to think about this. As human parents of Jesus, who would have been examples to him, we have to understand Jesus became a human being. He became a baby. He wasn't like super powerful Superman baby in in the manger. He was baby baby in the manger. That means Jesus had to learn how to process information. Jesus had to learn how to use his hands to actually grab things. He had to learn how to use his feet to walk. He was a human being. And his mom and his dad were going to be pivotal in shaping his character. And his conduct. 
And one thing that we know about Jesus is Jesus knows how to bear shame patiently. That, that's what he did whenever he went to the cross. He, 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 he bore the shame that you and I, you and I, we do shameful, stupid, idiotic, sometimes violent, sometimes uh, very rebellious things. We do the things that bring shame and embarrassment. He never did. But scripture says that he took upon our shame. And he carried it patiently. And this Christmas, I think about, I think about Jesus' parents and I think, it's not in the text, but the Spirit invites us to consider. What if they were alone? Because they didn't have a support system at that time. What if they were alone because they were bearing shame? And bearing shame is a very lonely place to be. As I consider this, I think about this. This holiday season is a weird time because it brings out so much joy, merriment, brightness, glee. But we also know that this time of the year is one of the hardest times for people with depression and anxiety. People might find themselves alone or they might be in a crowd of people and feeling alone. Have y'all ever felt lonely even though there was people around you? I think in our church, we have people who are widows and widowers, people who've lost children. I see it in my mom every year. Every year we are gathered as a family and despite the fact that we are all gathered as a family and she is filled with joy, there is a longing and a yearning in her heart because my dad's not there. And he doesn't get to, she doesn't get to share a look with him across the room about, look at these grandbabies. Did you hear how Bat was so sweet whenever he got that gift? And Georgia was everybody's hype man? I thought about this yesterday in my office. I'm tearing up now. I sobbed in my office thinking about this yesterday. It came out of nowhere. I was just like, <laughs> it killed me, right? I was just like broken. And if we consider this, here's what I know is that like God put himself in that position of loneliness. He's experienced that. Here's what I know. I know that whenever you do something shameful, you feel alone, period. If you make a mistake, if you sin, if you, uh, uh, you know, just act foolishly, you act rebelliously, you know, you isolate yourselves from, from other people. Sometimes you do it because the action isolates you from other people. You're yelling at them and you're cr creating hostility, a hostile environment. 
But I know this, I know that the enemy wants us to keep our sin all hidden, right? Nobody just goes around like anybody who's, y'all don't go around and be like, guess what I did yesterday? I did that thing that I prayed the night before for God to forgive me and that I promised that I would try hard not to do again. But I did it yesterday. And God put himself in that position. Nobody celebrating the one who should be celebrated. Mary and Joseph faithfully endured being lonely, isolated in this task. Why would God do this? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And it's incomprehensible how much he loves us, but he loves us. And because he loves us, he doesn't want you to be alone in your sin and your shame. He wants you to be rescued from it. And because he loves us, he doesn't, he hates that you've experienced the death of your most excellent, strong, loving man. He hates that. And so he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take the sin and the shame upon me. And I'm going to walk the lonely road to the cross. And I am going to go to death. Kick death in its teeth and come out the other side. And I've shown you that I've done this in my son Jesus. And just like I did it in my son Jesus, I'm going to do it for every last person who trusts in me. And, and guess what? I want everybody to trust in me. So it might take me a while because I'm working on people. You know, what's interesting is you compare and you contrast and you think about Jesus' birth and of his family and of his friends, there were very few people gathered, celebrating, rejoicing. We don't hear of them. That's at his birth. What happened at his death? There were there were people celebrating, scoffing even, his death. And God endured that. God the Father endured watching his son endure that. He endured watching Mary and Joseph experience that. The God who loves them and who never wants them to experience any pain any sorrow, any loss, he endured it because he loves us. And God in Jesus endured it himself.
What's interesting, for those who've ever felt alone, lonely at this season, maybe lone, lonely in your sin and your shame, is while God endures it, and sometimes he is patient and lets you endure it, he also attends to you in it. And so Luke says, hey, none of the neighbors and relatives were there with Mary and Joseph. Maybe that's just because they were in another town. Maybe it's because they had some shame and they didn't have a lot of support system at this point. But God said, hey, come here, angel. He grabbed another angelic messenger and he said, hey, you see those shepherds over there in the field? My son was born today. The hope of this world. And there's very few people who know and who are celebrating. I need some others to celebrate. And Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, They've acted faithfully and they've endured some shame. I bet they're praying Psalm 35 or Psalm 43, vindicate me, Lord. Lord, please vindicate me. People do not understand what I'm doing. And the time's not yet for their full vindication, but here's what I want them to know. I want them to know right now that I see them. And I'm proud of them. So go get those shepherds. Go wake them up. Go tell them the good news. The gospel that Jesus, who is Lord, has been born. And let's see what they do with that information. As I think about this, I think we as disciples of Jesus, we as the church, we are called to do things. Not only do we do our foolish things, but we are called to do things for the Lord that isolate us. The wisdom of the cross is foolishness in this world. And you and I are called to do things like forgive people who are hateful and nasty and violent and crude. And not just forgive them and not just be like, well, I'll give them a pass. No, we're even called to go a step further. We're called to pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray for God's mercy on their life. We're, we're, we're even called to not just utter prayers privately about, about them. We're called to bless them. And not in a nanny, nanny, boo, boo, stick your head in, you know. You, not that kind of blessing, right? Not that, oh, I'm going to heap coals upon your head. <laughs> I'll kill him with kindness. Not that. That is not the heart. We are called to do good to those who persecute us. And guess what? That doesn't square with your flesh or my flesh or the eyes of this world. The eyes of this world say, oh, you do that. You're just going to let them win. And guess what? Jesus says, it only looks like they won. The resurrection will prove the true victor. And so as you and I, 
act like Mary and Joseph and we do the things that the world says are shameful. When we carry the same sort of love that Jesus carried, it will get hard and we will feel alone. But God sees us. He knows. And he might send some shepherds along the way just to celebrate what you're doing. Here's what I would say. Receive the shepherds. Receive the encouragement. Receive it as something from the Lord. Receive it as God saying, I see you. I see you. I know you. Well done. But keep going. Very few celebrated him. But now look. I know there's a lot of celebrations going on during this season that aren't actually in celebration of him, right? They're a good excuse for people to get out of work, to see family and friends, to get a little wild, to have a good time, to let their hair down, to let loose. But there are people in this world, the world over. There are people in Russia, in China, Iran, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Brazil, the Philippines, Guam. There are people the world over who are celebrating. And you and I join in that celebration. Tonight, I hope if we can consider these things that we've discussed, it will help us celebrate a little bit more thoroughly, a little bit more fully, that you and I will go, what did Mary and Joseph really have to endure? What did Jesus really have to endure? What is God always enduring as he's being patient and waiting for the next time he's going to tell his son, it's time. And we can celebrate and we can rejoice in God's patience and God's love. My hope and my prayer is that our Christmas time is more than superficial celebration, but deep, deep, deep celebration of the baby who was born and were the shepherds not told, very few were celebrating. May we be the ones who celebrate him fully. And with that I say, amen. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you for your word. Lord, I do believe that the word that's been delivered is your word, but Lord, I invite you to in your spirit to take that which is true, that which is good, that which is right, honorable, pure, that which is true. Hold it up. Establish it, Lord, in our head and in our hearts. Lord, let it take root so it bears fruit in our lives. And then, Lord, I pray, if there's anything that I said tonight, 
that is garbage, that is refuse, that needs to be done away with, that your spirit would take that and your spirit would expunge it so that only that which is true will stand. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to celebrate you this season, that we will do so with full hearts, full hearty worship, full hearty celebration may we bring to you. I pray your blessings over each and every one who's attended with us tonight, not only here in this space at 315 West Shadow Bend, but also from their uh, homes uh, via live stream. I pray that you would keep them in your love and your care. I pray that you would use them to be good gospel witnesses. And Lord, uh, good disciples of Christ who are ready, able, and equipped to make disciples of Christ. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen.